The Water Values Podcast, Session 143. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is David Gibson, and thanks so much for joining me. We've got a great show for you today. Uh, we have Reese Tisdale with the Bluefield on Tap, and our feature interview is with Anthony Curry. He's a financial reporter who has recently really started to dig into the financial risks surrounding water. And so we're going to get into to all that in just a moment. But as normal, we have a couple of housekeeping items. First off, uh, thank you very much to Hamadreza Garibi. Uh, sorry if I mispronounced the name. She left a great uh, review on I, on Apple Podcasts. Uh, she says, uh, very useful podcast for expanding the information about water. Hamadreza, thank you very much for the great uh, review. Really appreciate it. And if you've been enjoying the podcast, please feel free uh, and to leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever podcast directory you're listening on. It would really help others find out about the show. So thanks so much. Um, and also, if you want to help support the show, you can go to thewatervalues.com. Scroll down a bit on the little right-hand side is a uh, donate button or PayPal donate button. You can click on that. Uh, donations in any denomination are greatly appreciated to uh, greatly appreciated to help defray the cost of putting the podcast on. So with that, let's get to uh, Reese Tisdale, who's going to fill us in on the latest on water reuse uh, in the latest Bluefield on Tap session. So here's Reese. Well, Reese, welcome back to the Bluefield on Tap segment. How you doing? Good, good. How about yourself? Doing awesome. Doing awesome. Springs around the corner. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you live. But where I live. No way. <laughs> Uh, so uh, w- today our feature guest is Anthony Curry, uh, Anthony Curry, and we're going to uh, talk a lot about um, financial risk from water markets. Do, do you have any thoughts on uh, essentially uh, how where how, how companies, cities, uh, you know, population centers can address the financial risk uh, for you know that's presented by water shortage or water scarcity? Yeah, I mean, I think the timing, actually, it's interesting, the the timing of of your conversation with him. You know, just this past week, uh, Los Angeles has just gone to, made an announcement to go, you know, basically reclaim 100% of the city, of the wastewater by 2035. Um, I'd say, you know, that's pretty significant. California has been on this track for a while. I mean, looking at Bluefield's data in and of itself, Bluefield has, I think we have, in our last report, we have about 350 to 360 uh, wastewater reuse projects in the in the project pipeline uh, going forward. So it's it's always been there and it's growing. What's interesting about this is just the scale. It is Los Angeles. You're dealing with so many people, but also they're going to 100%. And I think part of this is, you know, they're trying to sort of focus more on local water resources. You know, what are their options? Um, trying to become more sustainable or resilient. And that's a big term that probably needs some unpacking. But at the same time, it, it is uh, significant and that they're focusing on it. Um, and it's also, it supplements conservation measures, which may only get us part of the way there. So it's really a sol- it's an, another solution to solving, uh, solving water problems. 
Yeah, so uh, you said a lot in there. So let's unpack the, the kind of sustainability resilience piece of that first. So what what you know what does that picture look like uh, for Los Angeles? Look, I mean, everybody knows what's happened with their drought over the past, uh, I guess, past ten years. You know, it, it was bad a couple of years ago. Got a little bit better. Uh, they went to twenty five percent conservation targets over a year. But I think, it, look, it's the desert. I mean, it is it is what it is. So I think the city population growth uh, demands on the system are increasing. And the alternative is finding other ways to get more water from Northern California, which is not uh, an inexpensive exercise. So I think the city has turned around with Mayor Garcetti and others have said, look, there are things that we can do to make this basically a more sustainable, more uh, a better place to live, one, um, you know, and give us access to the resources we need to live. Um, and that's good for domestic residents. It's also good for businesses. You know, I think when businesses can't go to a certain place, it could, water is an increasing concern. So if they look at it and say, well, why would we go there? There's not enough water. Does that put us at risk? It's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So, and so when Los Angeles kind of moves toward this way of a hundred percent reuse, uh, are there, are there other models out there? Maybe not in the U S but, but internationally, are there, there models that Los Angeles can kind of learn from and look to? Well, yeah, I mean, I'd say, well, you know, I would say there are other places in California or in the U S that you could look, I mean, San Antonio has got some interesting things going on. There's another, uh, reuse project, I think. And what I'm talking about are direct potable reuse, which is interesting. I mean, they're filling aquifers with treated wastewater. Um, that's interesting. You know, obviously, uh, Singapore is, is a market that everybody looks at. Their heavy reliance on Malaysia for water has um, forced them, uh, at least uh, policy-wise, to find ways to, you know, become self-sufficient um, or more self-sufficient. So, They've started. They've been using direct potable reuse for a while. Israel is very, um, uh, I guess, aggressive in its reuse, but they don't use it for for drinking water. It's really for irrigation and other sources, so uh, or other needs. So I think there are ways to go about that. But really, the U.S. is, you know, on a volume basis, it is a big market. Uh, when it comes to, to flows. And there are a lot of projects up and down California, but also Florida. You know, Florida has historically been the biggest market for reuse, not for drought reasons, but because of aquifer recharge uh, or, I guess, drawdown problems on the aquifer and salinity uh, going into the aquifer. So that's been the bigger challenge for them. So there are a lot of reasons for uh new applications like this or you know look reuse desalination is another solution you can look in the middle east for that or in california uh florida texas as well so a lot of solutions um not always an easy exercise to pay for it yeah yeah the, the, so i what I, what's going to be curious to me is uh as as kind of the rest of the country watches los angeles go through this uh process um Will will technologies be developed? Will costs start to come down because they're doing it at such scale that it might start to make sense for other communities to do this? And so, you know, Los Angeles being a kind of an early adopter in the U.S., um, you know, at least at that scale, yeah. hope, hopefully we'll have some repercussions on, on costs 
and so we get uh, we get you know more more communities that need this type of technology, uh, opening up the, the the field for them to actually get out and you know afford yeah, reuse. I, I, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think the what's interesting is, you know, look, desalination can be very energy intensive and expensive. Reuse is less so. I mean, you're already treating the wastewater for discharge into outfalls, you know, ocean outfalls anyways. So it's a question of how much more do you have to treat it, and then do you put it back into the aquifer? You know, people do get – I think part of it is, you know, you're, everything costs money, right? The existing treatment costs money or building a new plant or piping it from Northern California or elsewhere. It all costs money. What do you – and I think it's part – really should be more for, focused on portfolio diversification of supply and figuring out ways to be more efficient in the use uh, across the board. And it all costs money. People get grossed out um, by the thought of it, but I, I – I think they'd be surprised actually what's happening in their reservoirs as well. <laughs> yeah, that, you're exactly right. All right. Well, Reese, thank you very much for your insights today. Really appreciate it. Great speaking with you as always. And uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome, Dave. Hey, Look forward to talking soon. You bet. See you, Reese. Well, as always, Reese does a great job filling us in on current trends in the market. Um, the water reuse situation, as we kind of talked about, is fits in very nicely with uh, our feature podcast, our feature guest today, Anthony Curry, who's going to talk about water-derived financial risk. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a really interesting listen, I think. I mean, I, I learned a lot uh, the first and the second time I listened to it. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is Anthony Curry. So open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Anthony, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could take some time out of your busy day to join us. Uh, uh, you know, for starters, how about tell us a little about your background, please? Sure, David. Well, thanks for inviting me on. It's 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 great to get involved in this. I, I'm a big fan of, of all things to do with uh, expanding people's knowledge of all things water. Um, so I'll tell you who I am first and how I got into, into water, if you'd like. So um, yeah. I am one of the editors uh, at Reuters Breaking Views. Now, Breaking Views was set up about 20 years ago by the former editor of the Lex column of the Financial Times, which people may be familiar with. Um, if they're not familiar with that, they could look at, say, the Heard on the Street column as it currently exists in the Wall Street Journal. Um, Breaking Views is very much the same kind of thing. So we do financial commentary. So you think, you know, most of the things we'll look at will be market-moving events. So what I've focused on since joining in 2005 has been mostly uh, U.S. banks and investment banks, uh, U.S. car companies from a financial perspective. So we were one of the first to write that General Motors should, um, should voluntarily file for banks, bankruptcy back in 2005. Um, so, you know, obviously covering those two beats, 2008 and 2009 became a little bit hairy uh, and, and fun and scary. Um, and in the aftermath, I've got to confess, it, it's an awful way of talking about, about it by, by comparing myself to, to soldiers, but covering banks in, and car companies in the aftermath of the, the financial crisis a decade ago was a little bit akin to, and again, I stress it's maybe overdoing this, a little bit akin to a soldier returning from war. You know, getting back from war thinking, okay, what next? You know, there's a little bit of shell shock. There's a little bit of, right, do I really care if a bank's lost 500 million this quarter? They almost went under two years ago. 
Um, so I started looking around for other things to look at. And um, as luck would have it, back in, I'm going to say 2013, 2000, I think it was 2013 or 14, Goldman Sachs produced a uh, relatively big report on the economics of water. Um, and this is where it gets into how, how it conflates with or c combines with what I did when I was younger. Back in the, uh, in the before times, uh, in the early 90s, when I was doing my master's degree in international politics, I can't remember how I got interested, but I, I suddenly found myself thinking, I want to write my master's thesis on the politics of water in the Middle East. Because, you know, I, I wanted something easy. Um, so <laughs> I, I focused on the, on the Jordan River Basin, and I looked at, you know, obviously the Palestinians and the Israelis with a little bit about Jordan and Egypt and, uh, thrown in and, and, and Syria and Lebanon as needed. Um, and I really didn't do much with it. You know, I had, I had a couple of interviews in my early days as a journalist in the late, in late 1990s where the topic of water came up, but not particularly in a big way. Then I left it as I left my undergraduate degree, which is German language and literature, which you know, really comes in useful as a financial journalist. <laughs> and um, when this report came across our desks, like, okay, I can, I can finally convince my parents that my master's degree was worth it, and I can finally convince myself that I'm still interested in this topic because I was fundamentally interested in it but just got diverted into, into other things. And so the funny thing is, you know, if you go back to what I was saying about what we do for a living at Breaking Views, it's, you know, the, the big deals that are happening, the big crises in financial markets or the big... Uh, opportunities people have got. Well, we did this piece on water. We linked it in with, uh, I think there was some, some, some um, tensions between Ethiopia and Egypt at the time over the, uh, the, the Grand Aswan, the, uh, not the Grand Aswan Dam, the, the uh, Ethiopia, the big dam Ethiopia was building at the time. Uh, and we thought, okay, we can merge these two together. And we put it out in early July, this piece it was a lot longer than we normally write. And most of our pieces are very short, 350 words. We put it out on the third, second or third of July, right before the long holiday over here in America. And we put it out in a month where we have a ton of bank earnings and other earnings coming out, which our, our readers, mostly bankers and hedge funds and investors and Wall Street types, want to read. And it was one of the top ten stories of the month out of about three or 400 stories. And we thought, okay, we have a new beat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, ha we haven't focused on it until recently as much as we'd like just because we try to tie in more with, with climate risk and with other issues as well but water is what I keep coming back to as the thing that really excites me in, in, in whether it's about finance economics, mergers, there's been a ton of mergers in the, in the, in the industry or about the, 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 the global issues that we have and how to pay for them how to finance them and what economic risks uh, there are as well as uh, climate associated climate risk and that's where I've really wanted to focus my time I'm still covering banks, I'm still covering car companies but I'm doing more and more on this and I've sort of become the unofficial sustainable finance editor here as, as a result <laughs> Alright well uh, so, so let me ask you this what, what, when you examine the financial risk from water you know, can you kind of quantify that, or not necessarily quantify, but can you kind of put some parameters about it? What are we What are we talking about here? What 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 does that financial risk look like? Well, it, it does all depend on where you're looking, right? So, if you choose an area which is um, prone to flood risks, um, then you've got to factor in you know, the the loss of business that you can have. So, a great example of this was for the car industry. I think back in 2011, it was the same year as the big tsunami hit Japan. Thailand also suffered a great deal of floods, and uh, there were some, uh, some big paint suppliers in Thailand that got affected. So a lot of the car industry was saying that we're, we're, we're going to be short on cars, we're not going to have the right stuff in place. And you know, that's just one risk. And that's a sh very short-term 
risk, obviously. It, it impacts production, but it's something you'll probably get back. You can shift suppliers uh, and find your way around it. And even you know, that kind of incident can also make you think, should we reconsider where our supplier base is? Um, then you have the sort of longer-term issues of, are you in a water-scarce area? Um, and this, you know, I'm looking here from a business risk at the moment. And the business risks there are going to be... Uh, Many varied. So if I, I look at the, the piece we did recently on the Colorado River, we did a big piece saying, okay, are markets um, looking at the big risks on the Colorado River, and are they taking that into account? And we, our general assumption was, no, they're not, um, even though you had some companies that were coming up with some pretty big numbers. So um, we looked at a few of them. Most of this data was provided by CDP, which is an investor lobby group based in the UK. And one of them, I think, Caesars, the casino, has four, I think it has the casino chain, has four of its casinos in Vegas and uh, the surrounding area. And they said, look, it costs us maybe 15 to $20 million to sort out what would happen if we have severe water risk, you know, just to work out what to do about it. Um, Raytheon, though, the defense company, which, of course, is based on the East Coast here, but has big operations there, said, look, we could lose up to 20% of our global revenue. That's $25, million, $25 billion annual revenue company. If the Colorado River issues get so bad that you know, that will affect uh, our airport business that we've got there, it will affect a few other things. And investors just don't seem to care, which for us is a great way to get in and say, okay, how do we work out what they should be looking at, how they should be thinking about it. Um, and then the bigger risk is, okay, what if um, we're talking sort of globally or on a sort of systemic country level, if you do not sort out certain water issues, what exactly is at risk? So if I look at, say, the Colorado River Basin, again, that's seven states, that's Include Mexico for now. There's seven states within the U.S., which between them account for, I think, four trillion of the nation's GDP, which is about a fifth of GDP. Um, and you think that's just the GDP there? Now, yes, you can say Northern California may should maybe should be excluded from this, so we're down to two or three trillion, perhaps. Um, but also, you've got the far-reaching issues of what happens if, say, Walmart, which is a huge employer in that region, suffers, or Raytheon, another one. It's not based in the region, so we don't count that as part of the GDP figure there, but lots of other industries depend on the Colorado River for their business. You know, a, a lot of the country's fruit and nuts are grown in the region, for example, and exported to the rest of America. So, you know, we can talk about some really big numbers here, but when you drill down into an individual company, it might look quite small because they're not always as assuming uh, or looking at all of the uh, not con risks that might come, like Caesars may just, for example, be looking at, you know, should we be importing water, should we be uh, recycling water, as opposed to, hang on, if it's that bad, will people be coming to Vegas, which is obviously the, the much bigger issue that you'd have to face. Yeah, and so... If in terms of you've identified a, a number of risks, so the the first one is flooding, right? And that's more of a yeah. that's a, that's a climate risk, and yeah, that's going to have uh, a, a it could have a series of short term kind of impacts, uh, you know, to the extent if you get flooding, well, okay, the supply chain is disrupted, and and you know, getting product to the market is disrupted, and and so that is one that isn't going to be with us as as long as the the water scarcity issue that you identified, you know, in terms of finding that source of supply, uh, that, yes. that's a little yes. – that, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I would point out, though, that, that there, is, there is a flip side issue as to the Thailand issue is, one, was it climate change? Was it not? We can debate that. I haven't actually looked at it enough to be able to tell you. Um, but you, you will have floods in certain areas. Like we know floods will happen. The issue is it, climate change – can make them worse. They could also make them happen in different areas. So I go back to the Colorado River Basin again. You've got a, a number of frackers who've set up another mining operations in the region, not just for, for oil and gas. Um, 
And they've set up in parts of the area where, you know, at the moment, flooding risk isn't particularly big. But if you look how climate change is uh, affecting the region, you know, I think there's, there's a study that came out last year from a number of academics said, look, the, the Colorado River flow on average over the past 15, 20 years is a fifth lower than the average of, uh, during the 20th century, which started at a very high level. So we're getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and they said, look, half of that 20% drop comes from climate change. And you've got a precipitation issue as well. Right. You've got. Um, yep. So first of all, you've got. You've got. It's going to be drier um, along the basin. It's hotter and it's drier. Secondly, you've got the precipitation issue. There is. Okay. This is not the best time to talk about this, given what's happened over the past few months. <laughs> um, and you know, President Trump would, of course, jump all over this and say that climate change doesn't exist, which we all know is rubbish. Um, but look, if you if, if you look at what's happening, you've got in general far more rain falling and far less snow, which means you, the natural way of keeping water stored snowpack is reducing, which means you've got more runoff, and there actually has been more rain over the past few years in general. So the risk of flooding increases, which means if you have based your operation there, not think taking this into account, whereas in Thailand you may have taken some flooding into account, uh, because you know, a, lot of those, a lot of areas in certain river basins in Asia especially do flood on a regular basis and people are more used to it. But if climate change um, completely whipsaws you around, then your operations may well be in an un sustainable place now for, to continue, which means it's not just about, you know, getting rid of the water and having a couple of weeks off. It's should we actually be here anymore anyway? And that will increase the risk. So flooding can be a very short-term risk, as I discussed at the beginning, but can actually have longer-term consequences as climate change, uh, as, I said, as it changes how uh, precipitation and dryness affects what happens to that water. Yeah, and, and it's it's not just flooding, right? It, I mean, it's the timing of when that water comes down. So historically, that snowpack has stored the water and it would gradually melt. But if there's more rain and if the snow's melting sooner, uh, the, the flows may not be there at the same times you're accustomed to, and that could cause disruptions in the economy. Absolutely. And you've got the same thing in other parts of the world. In fact, the other is intriguing, actually. One of my colleagues in Hong Kong wrote this piece um, that you know, India is at the forefront of the water problems uh, in terms of scarcity and flood risk in Asia based off the, the Himalayan snowpack, which is also decreasing, changing the runoff. And there is also a $4 trillion GDP issue for the uh, countries around there as well. So um, it's not just the U.S., obviously, or, or, or not just Europe and the, the, the major countries as well we think about in the Western world, but you know, India, as we've seen, is suffering a lot. And, and there is a huge, huge risk there from exactly the same issue. Yeah. So let, let me ask you this. So, so the, the financial risk, I mean, I, I can see picturing that in a static, you know, from a static, like a snapshot of what the current economic status is. One of the things that, that, um, I've, I've kind of found interesting is will climate change and will the, the water scarcity issues kind of shift how, um, um, economic activity takes place. Will, for example, Raytheon move facilities from water scarce areas to water rich areas? And, and I mean, so have you, have you given any thought to that angle, like trying to, trying to envision this in more of a, um, you know, a, a dynamic situation rather than kind of the static snapshot situation? Yeah, absolutely. So actually, one of the one of the early pieces we did three or four years ago uh, looked at precisely this just within the United States, and we, we I think we um, we we titled it, you know, um, America's up for an economic water war. 
you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of water wars in general. I think they're overhyped. I think water can be used as a as a tool of war, but I haven't yet seen countries go to war over a water supply. But economic warfare, I think, is very much there. And within the U.S., it's huge. Um, and I think you know, a lot more will be made of this. And what we looked at were a lot of the um, cities and states up in the Great Lakes region, where, of course, you've got was it a fifth of the world's water supply or more, or fresh water supply? Um, and a lot of those cities and states are pushing their access to water uh, as a selling point. So you've got, um, you know, some of the sort of major brewing areas along there are really pushing this. And they've set up, um, you know, they've set up uh, uh, freshwater uh, university courses and, and they're trying to come up with, you know, technology hubs for water. Chicago's following suit as well. It's got a lot of food and agriculture businesses based there and around the area, of course. And, you know, they too have their own water scarcity issues sometimes. You know, and that can be caused by things, whether it's algae uh, on, on, on the lakes or other issues. And you know, it's also getting warmer there as well. But if you think there is where so much of the water is, as long as you're in basin, because they're not allowed to transfer that water out of the basin, of course. Um, and you compare that with, say, the Colorado River risks or California in, ge in general, because um, you know, Northern California also has uh, drought issues which are unconnected to the Colorado River. Um, and you look at other parts of the southwest which don't have supply from the Colorado River. So, you know, Texas, other places, they're all looking at ways to try and convince um, businesses to stay. San Antonio uh, in Texas is a great example of a city that has done a very good job of trying to think far into the future about um, its water scarcity issues and how it convinces local um, industries to cons consume and conserve water, but also how it tries to uh, get its water supply for the long term secured. So they've been building a pipeline, or they are building a pipeline, uh, to tap, it, tap into an aquifer about 140 miles away. They've also, I think, struck a deal, or were going to struck a deal. I've not looked at this for a couple of years, I confess. So I could be out of date here. They've also, uh, we're going to strike a deal to take some water uh, f from um, a desalination plant on the south coast. And I think that was going to be done in a sort of water trading thing. So we'll take some water that's near us, and you can, and, and those who are closer to the desalination plant will, uh, will take the water water that they otherwise would have got from, say, a river or an aquifer. I think I, I could be um, a bit lost on the details there, having not looked at it for a while. But there's definitely, you know, you think about some of these regions in the southwest and, and, and west of America, they are quite fast-growing population-wise, and they want to bring in more business, but they don't have the water. So they've got to come up with new ways of doing it. Meanwhile, some of the older hubs of American industry and agriculture up in the north and the east have got the water, but don't necessarily have the high growth that the, the, the uh, uh, for companies wanting to come there and set up. Yeah, so uh, it's interesting you brought up San Antonio because we've, I've had Robert Puente on a couple times, and I, I've always been very impressed with how San Antonio has diversified its water supply. And, and I think the same thing can be said for Southern California. You know, Jeff, Jeffrey Keitlinger has been, been on, uh, and, and, you know, there's the UCLA put out the report on uh, essentially a water-sustainable Los Angeles, kind of all, uh, all local water, kind of weaning themselves yeah. off of foreign water supplies. So I, I, I think that's kind of what those water-scarce regions, the utilities are, are really kind of having that vision rather than the, the industry right now um, and saying, let's, we need to diversify supply, we need to tap, uh, you know, tap water efficiency, water conservation. Um, and, and, but there's a point, right, where, you, where water conservation is not going to be enough. What are your thoughts on that in terms of where, where you know, at, at what, where's the tipping point? Where is industry going to move from water-scarce regions to water 
uh, rich region, so to speak? Well, I think what they'll—I mean, there will, there will be outliers in this, of course, one way or the other. But I think the general way that companies are going to operate is okay. What what can we get away with? I don't mean that in a nefarious way. I just mean at what point do we um, realize that we are, we've got too many sunk costs and we should just quit and go somewhere else? That's a big move to take. You've got talking about uh, you know, setting up your operations elsewhere, closing down what you've got, um, and do you transfer or just get rid of and hire new employees elsewhere? It's, it's, and, you know, you may get tax benefits where you are already. Do you lose those? Um, you know, because some of the, the, the states up, up in, this, in this part of the country on the east and the north are you know, relatively high taxation uh, states. So you know, you've got to that fact, factor that into as well. But look, here's, here's the issue. I mean, the, the general thing that, that in theory has to happen, and I'm saying theory because it's, it's, it's just the governance behind this is, and, and the social factors behind this are enormous and almost intractable in many respects. The thing that has to happen basically is that agriculture needs to change fundamentally. Um, 70% of water globally, I think, is, is given to water. And that's fine as long as what is grown and where it's grown is done properly using water in the right way given uh, the environment they're in. Um, and you have seen in various parts of the world, and you can look at South Africa, you can look at Australia, you can even look at in, in, the, uh, in the western parts of the United States where you've seen various water trading markets set up. They could be quite small. Some of them are very small just based on local areas. And the idea there is that, look, let's, and often they're run by like the Nature Conservancy and others trying to factor in environmental issues as well. And I say, okay, let's try and make sure that the right people who need it get the water and those who maybe have the right to the water uh, are compensated properly for giving that up. So in other words, will farmers uh, take money to uh, divert water to uh, industry and or municipalities? And that's basically what's going to have to happen. And, 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 and agriculture then shifts either the products they grow or the areas they're grown in. But of course, that is going to be really messy to do uh, on a big scale. But I think industry first will think, okay, what can we do? Can we – they'll go through the, the list first. Okay, can we reuse water? Can we go to these water trading markets and, and see if we can get water elsewhere? Um, can we get involved in the local community and see what else needs to be done? Are there water conservation measures that we can do uh, in the watershed, in the, in the region? Um, you, know, you name the size you want to go depending on the, the size of your operations. And there are a lot of conversations you can have around stewardship and everything else to maybe mitigate the issue as much as possible. And if you don't think those are going to work for whatever reason, then I think comes the point of do we just shift our some or all of our operations? Yeah. Um, so, so this is interesting. So you, you brought up agriculture, and I know that Chris Peacock was on about Aqua Oso not too long ago, and he kind of said, look, we're, what we're really trying to do is provide a FICO score for uh, water risk. Uh, and he and he was looking at the California, specifically the California ag uh, water markets. Um, and I, I kind of curious, you know, do you have any thoughts on is that kind of going to become more commonplace? Is kind of, you know, whether it's lenders uh, or equity investors or especially the big institutional investors looking at water risk? I mean, what when's that going to come into play? I think it already is. It's just, a, again, it's a question of scale. So, so for example, in mid-February, um, one of the big, is it a lobby group? Is it an, uh, an action group? The PRI, the, the Principles for Responsible Invest, Investment, which was set up in part by the United Nations uh, 14, 15 years ago, um, they have like 2,300 signatories, most of which are asset managers, asset owners, 
service providers in the fund management industry. And they all signed up to the PRI and said, look, you know, we believe your principles, which are all nice and fluffy, about you know, we must do responsible investing, we've got to care for the planet, that kind of thing. But there was no attempt to, um, to push uh, investors to adhere to them and actually show they were doing more than just signing on the dotted line. It became a bit of a joke in the industry a few years ago. Um, but here's the thing. If, if you didn't sign up to the PRI, a lot of um, those uh, people with the assets or in charge of deciding who would manage those assets wouldn't give those assets to manage to, uh, to money managers unless they were signed up to the PRI. So the PRI has this really big ability, if they use, chose to use it, to push investors to care more about climate risk in general and water in particular. And just in mid-February, uh, the PRI announced, look, we've got these rules uh, that, all, that have been developed, devised by the Task Force on um, Climate Risk, uh, what's well, Financial Disclosures, uh, the TCFD. Um, and we've, got, we've adapted these into 19 uh, different uh, in climate risk indicators, and as of next year, we want all of we insist that all of our members, these 2,300 firms, um, have to report annually on these following three uh, parts of those 19, and then we'll extend that to the 19 uh, indicators over time as we work out the best way to do it. And just to put this in context. So those 2,300 firms manage between them $83 trillion of assets. That's about half of the institutional assets in the, in the world. Um, so that makes, suddenly makes the PRI a very, very big influencer on climate risk in general. Now, unfortunately, it's almost always climate risk that people talk about. Um, if you look at the Paris Climate Agreements, water isn't mentioned a great deal. Yes, we've got the uh, Sustainable Development Goals where water it has its own goal, number six, and also factors into several others. Um, but people love talking about climate risk and talking about renewable energy, but water often gets a sort of a raw deal. In fact, a climate week in New York last year, which is a great show, basically. You've got all these different companies giving their ideas on what happens around the climate with investors, investment banks, um, uh, service providers, asset managers, everyone. And it's great. Water hardly appeared at all. And I'm going to try and fix that this year. We've got a plan to, to do a, a, a panel here um, in Climate Week. Um, but, you know, cl so climate is becoming a big issue for investors. You've got, you know, PG&E is a big example. It's not a water risk necessarily, but that, I think, has really awakened investors. Uh, to the risk uh, of climate, from climate. So the fires have now put PG&E into bankruptcy, basically, the California fires. They chose to go into bankruptcy uh, because the, the potential uh, liabilities got, got, they thought, too high. Now, we can quibble whether they should have done. Um, but water is becoming an increasing factor. Now, if someone said this, and everyone keeps quoting it, but I'm going to say it again, you know, if climate, teeth, if, if climate risk is the shark, water is its teeth. Right? So... Uh, everything revolves around water, and uh, we all need it. It's, it's an obvious thing to say, but it has to keep, we have to keep saying it to get people to pay attention. But if you, if you extend beyond the PRI, you've got others. You've got Ceres, um, an investor group up in Boston. You've got the CDP, which you mentioned already in London. They have a similar investor base, $80, $90 trillion of assets under management, pushing for um, greater disclosure. Disclosures on all manner of risk, and water is one of them, and they're getting more and more disclosure from companies. And they're doing a really good job, but it's sort of reached a, a, sort of a, a plateau at the moment. And if you speak to other people, like Will Sarney, who I'm sure you know, uh, the, you know very well-known uh, former Deloitte uh, consultant who's set up on his own now, who covers water, and you know, he's got a little bit despondent about the whole stewardship debate, uh, um, you know, getting people to interact uh, around a, a, water, a river basin to discuss whether it's 
you know, whether it's shortage, floods, or whatever, but it's a discuss between industry, agriculture, municipalities, environment. He's getting really down about how not enough is being done, and he's has got a few ideas. But all these things are coalescing and coming together. I think, unfortunately, climate risk is the thing everyone focuses on, but water is getting more and more attention. And I think you know, podcasts like this, articles like we're doing, which focus on the risk to investors, really means that this will become a bigger and bigger issue. And the numbers associated, the loss the risk of loss associated with it will get bigger and bigger as people start appreciating it's not just about a one-off flood. It's not just about shortage for two or three years. It's about long-term changes in climate risk, in, in climate, which changes the risk factors you've got to look into. Yeah. I mean, I, I think for, for savvy people and people in the know, when you talk about climate, really they're talking about water because what, the, what climate change does is it changes the the availability patterns of water, whether it's too much, too little, um, and you know people focus on the temperature, uh, but really that that change in temperature causes the water to move in different ways and appear in different ways than it than it has historically. At least that that's my take. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the, go back to the Colorado River Basin again. It's it's exactly what we mentioned earlier, right? It's if you have rainfall becoming more predominant than snowfall and if you have drier, temp drier temperatures and therefore drier ground along the basin you're going to have first of all a the, the, the water is going to flow uh, along a different schedule to what you're used to and yes there are dams that can help uh, mitigate that but they have their own issues um, but also you know, if the ground is drier and you have more water flowing at a different time you're going to have more floods um, and you're also going to have less water when you need it and you're going to have less water anyway because the temperature is going up and evaporation is getting worse so you know it's it, the whole thing just says we need to change everything we're doing. Um, unfortunately, you know, human nature is such that we don't like change, uh, certainly on a big <laughs> scale. Um, you know, one of the biggest single issues we've identified, and I, I, don't, I don't think it's just us, I think a lot of people have, governance is one of the biggest problems to change in, in, in how water is used. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. So, um, <laughs> We, we've talked a lot about the U.S. markets. You mentioned you mentioned India and and you know the, the Asian market. Have are are other um, markets? You know, European, Asian. You, you also mentioned Australian. Are, are some of the, what what are these other markets? How are they addressing climate risk? I mean, are, are we just kind of do our, do we have our head? Do the do the United States and the North American markets just have our heads in the sand, or what are other markets doing? I think it's it's very similar the world over, and I don't mean to um, say that everyone's kind of on the same path, but um, some are certainly more advanced. Um, I think the Dutch are much more forward-thinking about this. It helps, of course, they are used to living on floodplains. <laughs> uh, so, but they they are very good at water risk management. They have also changed um, how they think about dams and dikes and flooding, and I think they have changed the entire way they think about uh, um, using. Um, the Rhine as it comes through the country. I think it's the Rhine. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm English and I studied German. I'm still questioning myself 20 years <laughs> later whether it's the Rhine that actually flows through, uh, through parts of the Netherlands. Um, so they've done a good job. I think there, there are a number of uh, investors who are really pushing a lot of this. So Ceres, which I mentioned earlier up in Boston, uh, is behind a group of, I think, investors with $6.5 trillion of assets who are pushing um, – all the big fast food companies, so, you know, McDonald's, Burger King, Pizza Hut, uh, Chipotle, 
uh, you name it, they're in it, um, pushing them to influence their suppliers uh, to have better climate risk and especially water risk uh, planning, um, which is crucial. If you think you know, agriculture is one of the biggest problems, uh, agriculture for or uh, for uh, meat is one of the biggest problems within agriculture. Um, so a lot of the, f of the, of the uh, water used, again, go back to Colorado River Basin, is, grown, is used for, say, alfalfa and the like. Um, why not go after the supplies? First of all, they can try and come up with different ways, or different, uh, different ways of using the water and different ways of maybe getting their supplies through. They can think about, you know, and that, that also affects you know, climate risk in itself. They can think about how they store the water and what they do with the effluent and how that affects the water table and how that affects, you know, the, then the availability of water later on if you have too much effluent in it and the, 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 the dams you've constructed break, then it's going to be a horrible mess, and not just, not just literally on the day, but for the water table for a long time to come. And we had a great example of this last year in Governance World, where um, was it Tyson Foods, um, which is one of the suppliers I think Sarah's is hoping uh, this investor group will, will help change it. They, they went, some investors put up a, a, um, a, something in the proxy statement last year, which is basically that there's an annual meeting every year. Shareholders get to vote on things. It's called a proxy statement, which contains all the, all, all the shareholder proposals and company proposals for, up for vote. And shareholders put in a proposal saying, look, we need you to divulge and do more about your water risk. You're not doing enough. You keep getting fined. It's a systemic issue for you guys, it seems. You're not doing enough. And I think 63 or 4% of independent shareholders voted in favor of this resolution, which you think would mean it would go through. But Tyson Foods, um, the family, uh, holds a minority of the shares, but because of a, 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 what's called a super voting stock, which means they have a second class of shares that don't publicly trade particularly, and they have many more votes per share than the one per share common shareholders have, they, through this, this mechanism, controlled 70% of the vote, and so they voted it down. Um, so shareholders were not particularly happy about this, but then they got behind the scenes, they all talked, and they came up with a plan a few weeks later. So shareholders are helping here. Uh, and I think you know, around the world, some of those shareholders actually came from the UK, I think. So that, that does help. And the Ceres plan for um, going after uh, the McDonald's of this world to influence the suppliers is helping. Um, but, you know, it's... Again, most of the things we see are like for, 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 for shareholders pushing things are from, for oil companies. They want more information. They want them to change their pay structures, all of which is great. But you want to get down to the nub of, you know, of, of water. And we see problems everywhere. Australia is a great example. And I haven't looked at this enough yet, but you know, the Murray-Darling River, the biggest river system down there, had multiple issues. There was a plan, or a plan was devised and, 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 and agreed upon about a decade ago under the Labour government at the time. Uh, to um, to sort out how the Murray-Darling River will be allocated. Um, you've had water markets um, come in there as well on a relatively small scale. But then just in the past few weeks, obviously with the temperatures being so high, they've been, what, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, so 45, 50 degrees Celsius. So you've had, like, millions of fish dying, the water's drying up, people are arguing over it again, there's reports of, fee of theft of water, of pollution everything. It's a mess, and this is an area where they actually tried to do something about it. Um, so you need investors, as well as government, as well as farmers, as well as environmental groups to step in and say, we need to change this even more. Yeah, we, we, we really need a leader. Um, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. We've got to have someone's got to take 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 the mantle of leadership and, and get everybody to get to the table. Yeah, you, you do the other I mean, the trouble is, though, of course, you know, water is very local, and you can look at how some companies talk about water, and they, some of them do a great job. Coca-Cola has, over the years, I think, 
been done a very good job. You can debate about whether Coca-Cola products are good or bad. That's not the issue right now. Um, but Coca-Cola has done a really good job of husbanding its supplies, talking to people in the river basins they operate in, and they've said, look, we hit this goal a few years ago of basically being uh, water neutral within our factories um, around the world. Now, the problem with that is they're looking at, a glo looking at it globally. So they're including what they've been doing on the Danube, for example, with what they've been doing in, uh, say, Latin America, um, which is fine on a global scale, but water is local. And what you do locally affects only the local area or the river basin. So they're sort of accounting for it in a, in a, in a, in a way that doesn't quite work with how water flows but globally it's a good idea but that means that having a global leader for water is good but you would need a lot of people underneath you to be regional leaders as well uh, which means you'd have to get the governance structure right and I know I keep coming back to governance but it really is whether it's you know how rivers are allocated and who's in charge of them or you know, how investors work or how companies work governance is becoming one of the single biggest issues uh, or impediments to uh, changing how we think about water. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, Anthony, you've been terrific today. Is there anything that I have not asked you uh, that you think is important to get across to the listeners? Uh, well, I could go on at length, as you can <laughs> probably guess, uh, and probably seen. Um, no, I think, you know, if you're thinking about it from uh, we talked a lot about risk. There's also opportunity. Uh, there's opportunity um, in climate risk. There's opportunity in water risk. And that opportunity can be sometimes being a first mover. So have you come up with the, the, the best new design that can help uh, mitigate water issues, whether it's you know, drip irrigation, which the Israelis have done a great job of, or whether it is uh, water reuse, or can we come up with a cheaper way, cheaper and less uh, uh, fossil fuel dependent way of desalinating water? Of course, you then have to come up with a good way of dealing with the brine and brackish water that you throw off, because that is an environmental issue in itself. Um, but you know, there are companies that are coming up with some good plans for that. There are also uh, companies that are, are developing good ways of, of assessing and dealing with their water risk, which makes them a good model to look at for others. So, you know, some of the car companies, Ford and GM, CDP rates them pretty highly, for example. And I think Fiat has even done pretty well uh, of late. Uh, dealing with their water risk, not just in America, but uh, elsewhere in the world as well. Um, and you could even look at, you know, if you really want to get into, if, if some of your listeners are really interested in, in market movements, you could even think, okay, there's a whole area of service providers here, whether it's utilities that are publicly traded, there aren't that many of them in the US, but there are some, or whether it's service providers you know, like Xylem and others who may well go on uh, 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 an M&A spree, and some of them have gone out and bought, bought other businesses, and that means you know, they may buy some of the new startups. Uh, or they, you know, some of the, uh, the utilities have been merging as well. There was a huge, huge fight between four of them last year over Connecticut water services, a, a smallish utility in Connecticut. And, you know, it became a really big fight for what was, I think, a $700 million deal, which in the world of M&A is, 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 you know, it's a kind of deal that we're breaking views would almost ignore if it weren't for the extraneous circumstances around it. And that deal was all about water risk climate risk, being uh, well-insulated and well-prepared uh, for what's coming down the pipe. Yeah, yeah, terrific. Well, a Anthony, again, you've been fantastic. I've, I've really appreciated your insights uh, and knowledge on the financial risks and opportunities in the water sector. Uh, for those people who want to find out more about you, uh, where can they go to get that information? Yeah, our, our website is breakingviews.com. So that's uh, not news, but views, V-I-E-W-S. So, you know, we write opinions, so it's a view. Breakingviews.com, uh, we're part of Reuters. Uh, so if you have, if you happen to have a Reuters terminal, you can find it 
that's on the, the, the main news homepage. Um, and uh, we have a few pieces that go free on Reuters.com. Um, and most of, most of my stuff is up on the Breaking View site, so you can look for me there. And my email's on there as well, I think, so it's easy to get in contact if you need to. All right, awesome. Well, Anthony, thanks so much again. I uh, really appreciate your time, and we'll talk to you soon. David, it's been great, great to be on. Thanks very much. You bet. Bye, bye Anthony. Bye. Well, I hope you liked that interview with Anthony Curry. Uh, had a very interesting perspective on things. Gave us some, you know, uh, really U.S. based, but also some uh, some more worldview. Uh, discussion of financial risk as it uh, as it involves water. Uh, so really interesting stuff. Thank you, Anthony, for taking time out of your day to speak with me. Uh, really appreciate it, and I'm sure the listeners appreciate it. Um, so I would love to hear what you thought about that interview. Uh, you can go to the show notes for this uh, episode. They're found at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod. One four three. That's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod one four three. Leave me a comment on the show notes, or if you don't want to do that, you can email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet at me with my hashtag or with my handle, which is uh, at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. As I said at the beginning of the show, please uh, please consider rating and reviewing the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever podcast directory you listen on. And uh, also, please consider making a donation to help keep the podcast, uh, help keep the, the water flowing, so to speak. Well, in closing... Please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource. So please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the water values podcast thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me well thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer i'm a lawyer licensed in indiana and colorado and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else additionally nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.